Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, dear supply chain community. A warm welcome to our C4 E2E podcast number 11 today. And I'm thrilled um, to welcome our guest, uh, Sherry Himish, and hand over uh, to Andy for a brief introduction. Thank you so much, Klaus. Uh, the topic today is very much about sustainability and how to make it really come to life in, in, in a practical application. I mean, we have seen this year severe droughts, unprecedented rainfalls. Uh, Canada had temperatures they, they never have recorded before. Um, the, the IPCC um, published last month uh, in August a report that basically made clear the impact of the very severe impact of, of climate change that we're going to have unless, unless we change course. And what we would like to kind of shed a bit of light today on is when we look at the technologies, the ideas, the concepts, a lot of it is available. But it seems that we're not really moving away from what we would call a local optima. So basically, you optimize around what you have already and instead move over to what is, is really a, a much better way of doing things. Let me let me um, kind of illustrate that a little bit with with um, a very popular example of the, in this case, the Toyota production system. So Toyota um, is famous for, for Kanban, how to do things very efficiently, just in time, lean. And this was not born out of basically, they sat down and, and, and realized, oh, there's a better way of doing it. But the, the way it started was really after the Second World War, when there were no resources available, they simply had to start to do things very differently. One piece flow is simply much better because you don't even have enough materials to fill a batch. And that simply moved on from that. Um, we've seen different examples of uh, basically Alibaba published uh, the results la late last year around their, their Sunsi uh, digital factory in, in Hangzhou, where they basically talk about uh, all the benefits they can do by, by cutting out basically the middleman. They basically have what they call a consumer to manufacturer which is really taking the orders and then producing on demand. And, and, and one of the big benefits they, they were talking about was that they could, for the in the case of apparel manufacturing, cut down water consumption by 50%. So that's a, that's a tremendous result. And if you think all the other benefits you could get from there is basically um, in retail, in, in apparel, you find that about 40% of all the products never reach a consumer. So there is... Uh, a lot of a lot of room to grow, and now the long story short. To discuss this and, and other insights today, we have uh, we're very happy to have um, Sherry Hinish, the supply chain queen, who's uh, also the IBM Global Practice Lead for Sustainability, Sustainable Sourcing, and Product Innovation. She is. Um, probably best known as a supply chain queen. Uh, she's leading advocate of sustainability, diversity, um, the supply chain with a purpose across many media channels. And she's hosting the Supply Chain Revolution podcast. So after this recording, you may want to look at that. It's a very interesting one. Um, she just published a blog post uh, that was already uh, a week ago on outlining the enablers for sustainability and circular economy. Thank you so much, Sherry, for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's let's just jump right in. Could could you help our audience to differentiate a bit um, when we talk about sustainable supply chains from an efficient supply chain? What's the difference? How are sustainable supply chains characterized? And and what are the challenges around that? 
Sure. So I think, um, like you mentioned, with Lean and certainly with Six Sigma, some of those optimization levers that are very familiar for a lot of supply chain folks listening, uh, a sustainable supply chain is different in that it's very intentional and rooted in something called the Sustainable Development Goals and ESG performance. And I'll tell you what that means. So when you think about some of the benefits that we get from maybe the optimization techniques that you've described, typically those are consequential in uh, reducing waste, you know, network optimization, thinking about product design differently, um, maybe even some due diligence around compliance. And, and I could go on and on, you know, water, um, material utility, any sort of like care to natural resources. But like I mentioned, by and large, those benefits have been consequential and they're driven by iterating to a, a lower cost or making mm-hmm. operations more profitable. And this is through the lens of financial performance. Okay. When you think about a sustainable supply chain in the ESG lens, so environmental social governance, this is non-financial performance, okay? So the, the triple bottom line, a lot of folks might know the three Ps, people, planet, profit. Planet, anything related to environmental um, variables, natural resources, water, air quality, inter- con- uh, energy conservation, land use, so thinking about Um, biodiversity, uh, no deforestation, and so on. That's your planet, Vin, Mm -hmm. uh, portion. Mm -hmm. People, social variables. This isn't just reporting on diversity numbers and representation numbers in your organization. This is really getting clear on equity, Mm -hmm. um, health, well-being, quality of life, education, community, Um, preserving your social license to operate in the communities that you serve. So it's a very broad stroke, not just around um, some of the more classic KPIs that folks are familiar with. So we've covered planet and people. And next Mm -hmm. is profit. So a lot of people think that a sustainable supply chain is typically more expensive, and there's always a business case typically. Now, how we frame that ROI, we may go out a little further, Uh, in the RRI period, we might also include social impact. So that's something called called value balancing or the quadruple bottom line. Mm -hmm. Thinking about um, not only cash flow, but the type of systemic change that your sustainable transition is enabling in the world that we share. Mm -hmm. So at at the intersection of this people, planet, profit, Venn diagram, you have a sustainable supply chain. It's responsible, it's equitable and viable. And you know, you mentioned something around why is it so hard? Um, it's, it's hard because we have a lot of linear thinking. And as you mentioned in your intro, I mean, the climate emergency, it, it's no longer something that's, you know, uh, the, the, the conspiracy of silence that we've suffered for so long. Um, And frankly, I think that human behavior and a lot of the decisions that we make, the personal values that we bring to work in our supply chain roles, it's really hindering our restorative transition. Mm -hmm. Um, And and let's we're going to be provocative here right today. So it's very difficult to track impact and risk. You know, when you think about this end to end supply chain, which really isn't even end to end anymore, I think it's 
ever-changing, dynamic. It's an ecosystem. We hear network of networks. Mm -hmm. So just getting to like financial performance indicators is difficult. Now let's throw in environmental, social considerations, mm -hmm. governance like social justice, um, you know, resilient infrastructure, all of those things, you know, it's really hard. And I think that what's happening right now is there's a sea change because there's a ton of regulatory pressure where we have to fundamentally refocus and rethink about how we operate all the way from design, um, you know, in, in product LCA and using data and insights and really cool technology to make better decisions in how we design things. But then also, how are you connecting, you know, the first kilometer of your supply chain with responsible sourcing all the way to the last mile with how a consumer actually chooses your brand? Let me, so, let me, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll stop because I can go on forever, as you can you, see. You, you, <laughs> you, have, you have opened a very broad horizon here. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, is it a fair summary what you just said? Um, um, sharing, in other words, that people and organizations tend to stick to their paradigms um, until they're externally forced to question them and change them? I really hate to admit that um, because it's carrot or stick. But yeah, I, I find that there's so much pressure right now, Klaus, with, um, you know, moving to TCFD and a lot of these um, merging standards on non-financial performance disclosure. We have, um, my German's horrible, Leferkeitengesetz, the Supply Chain Due Diligence Act. Oh, the, um, yeah, 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 in a, 2023, mm -hmm. yeah. We have plastic and packaging tax uh, emerging. To, you, you know the 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 whole premise of landfill diversion and and how, what that means in risk management in carbon border adjustment tax. You know mm -hmm. how a brand's responsibility is extended. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think all of these things, disclosure demands are increasing, and that certainly um, it creates more willingness, if you will, for folks to start uh, adopting right. some ESG practices throughout their supply chain. Right. Let me let me take you, um, let, let me roll a bit back on, on what you mentioned about the, the getting away from the linear thinking to a circular thinking, because that's a, that, that I found that very interesting. So the number one, it's fully understood a circular economy simply has a lot of benefits. But I wanted to 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 take this a kind of a level a level lower, more on the operational level, because what when you think about it, you think about well, you, what are we going to produce? In most cases, there is a forecast, unfortunately, although there are different approaches available, and that means basically a forecast is always wrong. So you have waste. That means your sourcing part of it is waste. Your production part of it is waste. So there's a lot of waste along the way until you actually get to the point where you have it at the customer and you can actually then circle it back. Um, would there be, would, would, do you have any, any, um, any, any, um, any, any opinion about how things could look better to, to just cut out the waste already in the beginning? Yeah, I, I think that we design a lot of impacts into products, into our networks. Um, I can think of a couple examples, um, and I, I can't name the client because I'm under NDA, but, um, you know, they spent an enormous amount of 
uh, heavy lifting, time, carbon emissions, just moving things, iterating to lowest cost in their sourcing strategy. Um, when they really never step back from business as usual, some of the paradigms that you just described and said, what's the cost of miles? What's the cost of risk that we're externalizing when we source from China? Do we really understand um, beyond, you know, second tier in our network? And even before then, is there a way that we can use an alternative raw and mm -hmm. significantly not only reduce risk within our network and our sourcing strategy, but it, maybe it's cheaper long term when some of these regulatory pressures and, and regulations come into play in 2023? Mm -hmm. uh, specifically in Germany. Mm -hmm. So I, I think to your point, you know, when you look at this through the lens of circularity, it's are we leaving value on the table and are we optimizing for a problem that should never exist in the first place? And mm -hmm. we have a tendency, um, I'm a supply chain gal, to optimize, to optimize. Right. <laughs> we don't really step back and it's a different, you know, it's a different um in, in a lot of design thinking sessions with clients um, using the IBM garage, garage methodology, it's a different muscle because we have been taught through Lean Six Sigma, you know, to to keep iterating to some, you know, optimizing to some outcome. But um, I always use this example of the light bulb that the continuous improvement of the light bulb did not result in the of the candle did not result in the invention of the light bulb. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, using a candle, you know, uh, the, the, the process optimization and how you really have to just, like you said, step out of that paradigm and say, what are we missing? How can we think about this differently? How can we, how can we use our partners, um, mm -hmm. folks, especially in specialty chemicals where I have a background that may be competitors, um, and, and think about this through the lens of circularity, industrial symbiosis and, you know, clustering using agglomeration and techniques that we know in supply chain, but just tweaking them and using them differently. Mm. Uh, yeah. I think that that's the fundamental change is thinking differently. And we often get in our own way sometimes. It doesn't yeah. have to be so complex. Yeah. Let me, that's actually a, a very good point. Thinking thinking differently, the the, the, the process that is involved. Um, and, and Klaus, you, you're a process expert. Let me let me pass that question to you. Um, if we think about the, the business process that is involved, um, the, 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 the whole scheduling, inventory planning, you think about the forecasting, um, how could the whole topic of, of digitalization end-to-end -end in the business process help that? Because you would be able to connect your supply chain partners to work with them differently, really thinking that different thinking. Um, design the product differently because now you can actually operate differently in the in the in the whole production network. What are what are your what are your points on that? Yeah, I think the world um, um, today speaks a lot about end-to-end -end and there's not one vendor out there, at least not in the supply chain space, that does not um, put end-to-end -to, -end to its solution or at least claims to go end-to-end. -end. Most of them don't do. Because most of the thinking is still end-to-end -end from a functional perspective, end-to-end -end within a function, but not end-to-end -end really from the cradle to the grave. And this is the type of thinking that, that we need to apply, um, really think holistically, which is, of course, much more difficult than, than just thinking in, in, um, in functional silos. 
Um, but true end-to-end -end is really holistically from the very start, from the very initiation of a process um, to the end to the end of the process. This is typically a cross-functional, cross-enterprise, cross-system um, type of uh, type of thing. Um, I personally predict that we are going to see a revival of business process re-engineering um, over the over the course of the next years because we. We, we need to go back to more process-centric thinking because at the end of the day, it's the business process that typically starts with the customer and ends with the customer um, that, that we need to take into consideration. Um, and um, um, this is, this is what, what, what I think is going to be a change that we are going to see um, uh, hopefully shortly, um, because this really then starts to question the paradigm that we all have in mind, that the world has in mind um, regarding functional thinking, functional focus um, and functional optimization. This is the this is the bigger paradigm that we that we have to break. And my, my question to you, Sherry, is um, in this context, our, our podcast series is called C4E2E which stands for C-level and senior executives for end-to-end -end supply chain management, because we think um, this is that the, that the, the, the leadership, the, the C-level and the senior um, uh, management plays a very important role um, um, in, in, uh, in, this, in, in the application of end-to-end -end thinking, in the initialization of end-to-end -end thinking. So what do you think, what, from your perspective, what is the imperative for the C-level um, with respect to end-to-end, -end, with respect to sustainability and to the different way of thinking that you just described before? Yeah, so, uh, you know, when you say end-to-end, -end, I always kind of push back on that because I don't, I don't know that we really, um, it depends on how you define it. Um, I think that what we need right now is we need systems change. And, you know, through the lens of industry imperatives, I can touch on a few um, that might resonate with some of your C-suite listeners that are very familiar, um, you know, optimizing logistics, a supply demand match, increased visibility, transparency, powering a re reverse supply chain and infrastructure tied to circularity, um, sustainably sourcing materials, lean and green operations, blah, 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 we can go on. Uh, but when we think about two issues facing humanity okay if we don't address climate change we will not be able to go outside and breathe um, how do you make the business justification and roi on breathable air this is very difficult but it's happening we see it around us right the other thing is um, the enormous inequities that we have in the world that globalization and the business as usual operating model has created. There are tons of issues around human rights, um, you know, and, and when people come to me and they say, what should we focus on? Obviously, decarbonization, net zero transition, even moving toward regenerative thinking, regenerative agriculture, like a lot of, you know, more nouveau concepts, progressive concepts, but the human rights imperatives. I mean, you talk about risk, brand risk. No one wants forced labor in their supply chain. Um, people are starting to see now the power of divergence and diverse, um, you know, folks who stand up your supply chain organization. You're talking about new ideas, 
challenging each other and we no longer have an echo chamber. Um, uh, and, and a lot of, you know, when, when we, we look at, at human rights imperatives, and this is all social sustainability, this is the S in ESG, um, there are a few key themes, increased supplier visibility and transparency. You have to be able to visualize it before you can deploy any upstream thinking for circular economy, period in. You need the data, you need the insights. You can't just rely on tier zero, tier one, tier two. The other thing is you actually have to start thinking about partnerships. So it's not just enough to inform folks on your supplier code of conduct and have this auditing and reporting and you know you 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 think you have it all figured out but how do you actually help others on their journey how do you tap into a diverse supply base which by the way is becoming a trading requirement you have to show that you have diverse spend but you also have to you know be able to show what's the impact of that if you have a dollar and you spend it with a female owned business what's the social impact of that dollar is it 177 cents is that the economic impact analysis of that dollar spend? So it's thinking about things differently. I think the other thing too is all this is to protect social license to operate in your brand integrity. Consumers, investors, talent that you want, you want the best talent in your organization, you're competing on values. You're competing on purpose-led transformation that involves the supply chain for future fit orgs for future fit networks. And that is not, that's not like anything that we've ever had facing us. How do we create equal access? That is the new capital. And that is, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to get in any transformation. <laughs> it's the human side of this because we defect. We always defect. <laughs> it's a call for the for everybody and us, not just uh, the, the leadership by title, but the leadership in everybody, I believe. And I think uh, I think we can we can go on for 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 for, for quite a bit longer. Um, uh, Klaus, any any closing words on the on the on the imperative? No, I think that the, the final statement that that you made, um, Sherry, is really bringing it to the point. Um, and and I think this also ties back to the question that I raised before because. Um, you can, of course, wait until authorities are forcing you to, to for, into these changes. And I think the magnitude of, of businesses um, out there, um, um, for those, it, it, it might be might be necessary to be forced. But um, I think the from the other perspective or from the other side of the equation, you could also see this as a potential um, room for differentiation. Um, and um, I think. This is where where really top leadership um, is um, is 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 requested to to make this 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 ignition call to really um, um, uh, initialize this way of thinking, which is very difficult, uh, which is very different because it's not the typical ROI um, um, uh, financial justification type of thing. So you need to have um, strong leaders, um, I think, uh, um, uh, conveying this message. And 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 declaring this as as an important element, at least um, of the of the true north of a company, um, and I think this was brilliantly summarized uh, in in your statement. So, thank you, fast follower. Everyone listening, fast follower is not a winning strategy. 
<laughs> the, 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 the best the best time to act was yesterday. Absolutely. <laughs> so if you want to be fit for future, and equal access is, is one of the ways to that, then then really rethinking the systems that that we have designed and the ones we're living in, uh, is 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 really the way forward. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Klaus, for your insights. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you very soon again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Sherry.